Hello and welcome back to the Health Interactions Podcast. Today we've got a gentleman on the show. His name is Phil and Phil has actually been our longest current client. We've been seeing Phil for a bit over three years now and although it doesn't sound like a long time, it's actually pretty cool that we currently get to see him since we started the business in Melbourne and we were seeing him twice weekly uh, when we were in Melbourne, though Phil is lucky enough to have family based in Newcastle, so every time Phil is up, um, we always make sure we squeeze him in for a consultation, so uh, we still get to currently work with Phil, which is always a pleasure, both him and his wife, Marianne, are lovely. And we've got both him and his wife on the podcast today. This is also a bit of a novelty because we don't always have the luxury to bring on other family members to the podcast, but today it's sort of it's sort of needed. Phil had a stroke eight years ago, and as a result of the stroke, he now has aphrasia. This is where this is a condition where he can no longer verbally communicate the way he used to be able to. So we've got Marianne on today to help communicate some of Phil's thoughts. We usually set the podcast up in a bit of a conversational type uh, show, which is going to be similar today. However, we've already pre-written some of the questions just to give Phil some time to think about it and communicate that to Marianne. So we really hope you enjoy the show. But with that said, as always, this is just a bit of a disclaimer. This is only Phil's story and it can only be applied to Phil. But with that said, we hope you enjoy it. And welcome to the Next Health Interactions podcast. Today um, is a pretty special day for us here at Health Interactions. We've got our longest uh, current client with us. And that's, uh, I've, I've been seeing Phil for almost three years to the day. It was June 2016 I started seeing Phil. And that's when we were based in Melbourne. Uh, we've since moved the business to Newcastle and Phil still comes to Newcastle to see me. Uh, it's more sporadic than our regular twice-weekly appointments we had in Melbourne, but um, as Phil has some family up here in Newcastle, he always makes sure he drops in when he's up to visit family. So today is also a little bit special because we've got two guests today. We've got Phil and we've also got Phil's wife, Mary Ann. And the reason why we've got both Phil and Mary Ann is because Phil has aphasia. Uh, This aphasia has come because of a stroke. And if you don't know what aphasia is, it's the, I guess, the inability to verbally communicate. So Phil is still cognitively functions just as perfect as he ever did, though he struggles verbalizing his thoughts. So we've got uh, Marianne here today as well that's going to help um, communicate on behalf of Phil as being a audio-only podcast. It's going to help. So good morning, both Phil and Marianne. How are you doing? Hello. We're well. Very, very good. Let's start with talking about Phil's stroke that he experienced eight years ago. Phil's um, in a unique category with stroke as he didn't have any of the usual lifestyle factors that contribute to it there was no high blood pressure there was no obesity there was no type 2 diabetes and a lot of these other comorbidities that leave you at high risk of stroke so how did it come about for phil well we were living in queensland and uh, he had to have a benign tumor removed from his neck and we went down to brisbane from toowoomba 
and uh, it was listed as one of the risk factors, stroke, um, and he became one of the statistics. Fortunately, he survived. So it was the it was the um, the operation that caused the bleed, uh, and that that was the stroke. Yes, and Phil at the time was a deputy vice chancellor at a university. That's right. Phil yep. is a doctor and has a PhD, and he's an academic. He's incredibly intelligent. Now Phil has aphasia and can't communicate his intelligent thoughts. Phil, has that made you need to become more tolerant of people? Yes, definitely. Um, I spoke to him about this earlier and he said that he feels that he he has to be more patient in trying to get his message across because it's got to be done non-verbally. And the other thing is that he has a lot of trouble writing from uh, initiating the writing. He can uh, transcribe, but he can't start to write a sentence. So he's had to devise new methods to communicate. Um, He uses um, hand signals... But again, there is certain. Uh, there are only certain hand signals that he can use. But probably the most important thing is asking him yes/no questions, and he then gives a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Sometimes we just have to let things go, though, don't we? And uh, that must be very frustrating for Phil. But I think if if I've tried to work out what it is, we can't dwell on it. You just have to move on and let that let that particular question or issue um, just go off to one side and deal with something else. Yeah, I could imagine that being incredibly frustrating to not be able to get your message across. But for me in particular, um, I'm a practitioner that's worked with you for some time now and I think we get to, we communicate quite well together now. I think um, it's something that I had to learn. It's not something that as a practitioner I just knew how to communicate with someone with aphasia. But um, I think we've built up a bit of a rapport there and we can communicate our messages quite well. Yep, that was a yes. (laughs) And there was a thumbs up which you couldn't see. Yes. (laughs) What about for you, Marianne? Going back eight years ago, did you know a lot about stroke? I knew nothing about stroke. I, I probably knew that stroke created... Uh, paraplegia um, and I... Hemiplegia. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Phil uh, Phil has hemiplegia, so right side problem with muscle tone and muscle muscle function. So it was a very steep learning curve for me, but we were very fortunate because Phil was in a hospital where I had a friend who was in the library at the hospital and as soon as it happened, I went to see her because she used to be a neighbour when we lived in Brisbane. And she came up with a whole pile of books on stroke. So I took them home and I thought, I can't read a whole pile of books on stroke with Phil lying, you know, on his back in the hospital, not talking, not able to do anything at all. Um, but I came across one book which was called My Stroke of Insight by Jill Bolt-Taylor. And she had a, she was a brain scientist before she had her stroke. And I just – the one thing that I found in that book was there was at the back like an appendix and it said 40 things you can do for me. And I went through that and I thought, this is what I need. This is my guide to how to deal with with Phil not being able to com- to communicate 
and not even respond to the family because I had our three adult children with me. Um, And that was just my inspiration really because I realised that I actually knew more about how to communicate and get through the whole situation. I knew more about that for Phil than the doctors did. Wow. Uh, do you remember any of the 40 points that oh, well, stick out you, you, most? you keep communicating. Yep. And our, our adult children, some of them sang, some of them read poetry. A lot of, well, There was a lot of poetry read, there was a lot of music played and there was a lot of discussion that went on. And I remember our youngest daughter, Fiona, um, started telling jokes. And although, Phil, you couldn't see any, any uh, response... But Fiona said he there was movement in his hand. Wow. And I told the speech therapists this and they said, no, 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 you're just imagining that. But in fact, we weren't imagining it because he was responding to jokes. That's so good. <laughs> that is Which so is good. lovely. <laughs> okay. We're also, I know the next question is also going back eight years ago. I remember in our initial consultation... Um, you telling me that after the stroke you got told you're going to have to live in a nursing home for the rest of your life and you're probably not going to walk again. Yep, that's you now, how it was. You now live in your own home still with your wife and you walk independently. You do use a walking stick but you stand up, you sit down, you climb upstairs all independently. What, what made you get to this point? I'm sure there was a time there, especially when it first happened and you were told you won't walk again and you will be living in a nursing home. There would have been a fairly good reason to not even try therapy, but eight years on, you still see an exercise physiologist in Melbourne. You still see me here. You see a neurophysio. You've seen OTs. You've seen all these practitioners to continue improving. Where did that inspiration and motivation come from? I think probably one of the most important things was our uh, three adult children who were, uh, you know, were at the bedside for some time. One of them lived in America, um, so he couldn't be there for very long. But the three of them were very encouraging. And I think once Phil, uh, once Phil started the process of recovery, I think he felt that he really wanted to be able to show the family the improvement and we always try to keep them as part of the part of the journey part of the recovery journey so it's not just Phil on his own I don't know that you could do it on your own the other thing is that we've been through quite a few different uh, allied health people uh, supporting um, and you have to find the right ones And once you find the right ones, then you want to stay with them because they're the ones who are going to inspire you most. And I think that's been really important. And then along the way, we've also had three little grandsons and I think they're a great inspiration for Phil to want to be able to do things. And it's amazing, the eldest is six and he can communicate with Grandpa really, really well. uh, he can't understand everything he says, of course, but he can communicate non-verbally. That's so yeah. incredible that a six-year-old, I mean, gets to have that experience too, gets to, yeah. from a young age, be able to communicate with you, Phil. 
It is. It's re- that is really exciting. I think that I have always felt since the grandchildren started arriving, I always felt that these children were going to be really, really fortunate to know a little bit about disability and to be able to grow up understanding that disability doesn't have to mean the end of your life and you don't have to curl up in a ball and give up all hope. And I think I, I think that Phil's a great... I think he's a great inspiration for them and I hope that as they get older they'll realise that when adversity hits you can still keep going. Absolutely. I think that's very important. And that segues perfectly into our last question and that um, touches on if there is someone listening at the moment that's going through something, t- you know, life's tough. There's going to be tough periods in life. There's going to be great times in life as well. Have you got any advice that you could give someone that is going through a tough time in their life at the moment, whether that is stroke or isn't stroke? Have you got any piece of, one piece of gold that you could pass on to help keep them motivated to push through and push through that adversity, as you just said? I think, well, stroke is obviously a little bit different because unlike some illnesses, you can hope for, you can hope for improvement. But I think that probably the most important thing is not to give up that hope and to accept the support and encouragement wherever it comes from. Um, don't keep going back to where you were prior to the, prior to the, the stroke. You have to celebrate the advances from the time in in the case of stroke from the time the stroke happened where have you come from from the minute the stroke happened where have you come from at that point and that's where you see your improvement it's slow it's tedious yeah but it's there so you're consistently looking at the positives you know what i mean you're looking at the positives compared to laying in the hospital eight years ago not comparing yourself to being the doctor 15 years ago no, so, writing, you writing, know, <laughs> yeah. you know, all sorts of um, of documents and that sort of thing. Yeah, you can't go back to that. You've got to say, yeah. well, you know, that was then. This is yeah. now. And we've come a long way. And you're going to keep going a long way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for always reaching out every time you visit Newcastle. You're always welcome back here as many times as you want to come back and I'm always going to make room for you in the diary, even on short notice. So oh, that's lovely. So thank you. <laughs> thank you very much and I hope you have a safe trip back to Melbourne. Thank you. Bye.